rent. It's too damn high. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. <laughs> yeah, nice. For life. To the chasers of light, to the purveyors of pictures, to all of you listening, this is the F11 Photography Podcast. Welcome to the F11 Photography Podcast. This is your weekly photography podcast. We release this podcast every Tuesday. Uh, in the United States, uh, maybe it's like uh, Tuesday night if you're in the east, far east, in like Asia and uh, Russia and places Asia. like that. But uh, we do this podcast, like I said, once a week we discuss uh, photography, videography, uh, film, which is what we're talking about today. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes, we'll, we'll get into that here in a minute. Uh, we talk about uh, gear reviews, things like that, talk about gear, talk about uh, f- process, philosophy, uh, people in the industry that annoy us, etc. But if you're listening, <laughs> yes, if you're listening to this, uh, obviously you already uh, subscribe or are trying us out on your favorite platform. So for that, we thank you. Now, if you want to know more about us, uh, f11pod.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at f11pod. And um, in your respective uh podcast platforms if you could leave us a review it helps us show up on the search engines if you enjoy what you're listening to we would appreciate that tickle the algorithms a little bit uh, and get us in front of more people so we can grow and have a larger audience and uh, maybe have more guests on here which we do plan to do in the future Um, but yes thank each and every one of you for tuning in today Maybe I will name this episode, The Prices Are Too Damn High, to quote Jimmy McMillan, who was a a gubernatorial candidate, I believe, for New York uh, when he was talking about rent prices. But uh, I thought that the sample uh, fits the mood for today. And so today we are going to be talking about film prices. Man, this is a subject that is, it hits close to home. So if you are not a film person, uh, maybe you are just going to listen out of fascination. But if you are a film person, you're probably glued to your AirPods or whatever you're listening yeah. to this on. If, because if you are a film person, you're probably not going to be one for much longer. Let's just you know call a cat a cat. Yeah, so in December, Kodak Alaris, the company that's responsible for the distribution of Eastman Kodak's films, uh, said that they plan to raise the price of its films by varying amounts with uh, the overall average, coming out to about 17%. Well, based off of what I was paying for film, it's actually closer to like 40%. Uh, the increases uh, say that they're less on multi-packs of film, but as of March 1st, it seems like it doesn't really matter if you buy a multi-pack or buy them individually. Uh, it's kind of hard to hone in on that because... Film is an unregulated uh, product, so it's kind of the wild, wild west in terms of pricing, but it's progressively gotten to be a more expensive wild, wild west. So, uh, you know, just because you can find it lower somewhere else doesn't mean that it's not damn expensive. The thing that I want to talk about with this is right now in the global market, everything's becoming more expensive. 
And I think in that it, there, it opens up this gray area for bullshit with a lot of people and say, well, we can blame it on this or we can blame it on that. We can blame it on things like inflation. We can blame it on shipping. Now, one legitimate thing that I will say that um, Kodak uh, said is that because of the demand, the, the new demand for film, because you got to keep in mind, a lot of film stocks have been discontinued. And when we talk about color, unless you're shooting an esoteric Cinestill or one of those like weird, like, hey, I want to make it look like uh, just some weird you know, rendering of color. If you just want to shoot like what we call kind of normal looking color film, Kodak is really the only major player in town now. Uh, Fuji bowed out. Um, they are blowing out uh, Pro 400H on Amazon, which is what I've been buying every month. I have a subscription until it runs out. But uh, Kodak is the only only one in town. And apparently Kodak was even making film for Fuji for a while. And it was just being rebranded as Fuji, I heard. So if you want color film, you're buying Kodak unless you get some weird thing. And they have a monopoly on it now. Kodak decided that they want to bolster up production, uh, buy new machines. Uh, and, and there's other things that are going against this as well. So the number of available manufacturing facilities is decreasing. Like I said, Fuji is, is closing shop, which sucks because they have great colors. Um, the equipment to produce film is no longer being produced. So everybody's trying to maintain what they have the best they can. Um, the environmental costs, as we discussed, continue to rise, uh, especially around chemicals, things like that, um, which have a direct impact on the cost of manufacture film. Uh, and then uh, there's a direct production cost that is increasing because of the inputs rising, including paper, chemicals, etc., and then the cost of logistics continues to go up beyond the pandemic. It costs more to ship than it did a few years ago. Now, I pulled some of these bullet points off the Moment website, which, by the way, if you want to spend a lot of money on film, uh, go to Moment. They tend to be at the top, so we'll probably won't get a sponsorship from them. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's there's parts of this whole process that I think are bullshit. And so a few. One, they say, oh, shipping costs have gone up. Shipping costs did go up. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, but they've pretty they've feathered down. They've they're kind of getting back to where they were at the beginning of the pandemic. The cost of a shipping container is just about where it was uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. So I don't I don't necessarily buy that the shipping costs are going through the roof. And then the more complex uh, conversation is about inflation, because you know inflation is not some rising tide that makes you know things all rise at the same time. It's a very nuanced and complicated thing. And one thing that I can tell you is that uh, the thing that bugs me the most about this is so I, I can afford film still. I can afford to go out and buy a box of Portrait 800, which, by the way, um, just so you can get an idea of what this stuff costs, um, Gold 200 a month ago, I could buy for $35 to $38 a box. It's now $50 a box. Ektar 100, I was able to buy for $51.95. It's now $65. Portra 160, uh, I was able to get that about a year ago for $49.99. It's now $65. Uh, Portra 400, I was able to get it for $59.99. It's now $72. Uh, Portra 800, I think I was able to get it for around $65-ish about a year ago. It is now $85. And this is for uh, 120 film, by the way. And the one that if you just want to um, take it in the pants 
Ektachrome E100, $92.95 a box. Now, that's the one that pisses me off the most, and I want to explain why. It's slide film. Slide film, like, so so in our first episode, when Brandon was talking about how he, when he came up in photography, he had this Sony camera, and you just go take pictures of silly shit and learn how to be a photographer. When I was his age, you know what I used to take pictures of silly shit? I used slide film. I worked at a Chinese restaurant as a waiter, and I had enough money to shoot a couple rolls of slide film per week. That's how cheap slide film was. So this whole talk of inflation and all that is somebody who was a waiter who was 20, 21 years old at a Chinese restaurant in college could still afford to buy two rolls of film a week. Now it was 35 millimeter, uh, but you know even then, uh, one roll of 35 ectochrome right now, $20. 36 shots, $20. If film was $20, and yes, I do understand uh, this was 20 years ago, but even with like inflation, like it would have been like the, the film costing $15. And back then it was like five film has far outpaced wages. Film has far outpaced people's salaries, how much money they have to spend on things. And my problem is, is so like, like I said, I would literally just go like walk up to an ashtray with a cigarette and, and take a picture of it with a piece of slide film. It's like, cool. And I, cause I'm learning about the latitude. I used five rolls of slide film practicing, uh, time-lapse photography, just the cars on Aquarina Springs drive in San Marcos, where I went to college, I would just set my camera up on a tripod and take 30 second exposures. I used five rolls of film to do that. And I was a college student and I had no money. And that's how cheap slide film was. I used to shoot on ectochrome. They have books dedicated to ectochrome now. Um, I shot on uh, the talking about how amazing of a film stock it was. They can't make it anymore. It's too expensive. And then uh, you know, I also shot on, on Fuji slide film, which is amazing. And you know, the thing that pisses me off about this ectochrome thing is it's like, man, let's talk about what it costs per shot. Okay. So 35 millimeter roll is $20. That comes out to... On a 36 exposure uh, uh, roll, that's that comes out to if you do no processing at all, just just the raw cost of film. That's 55 cents every time you push the button on a 35 millimeter. If you take it to a lab to do a C41 development and then also pay them to scan, it's about 20 21 dollars a roll. That comes out to a dollar 13 every time you push the button. Okay, now you go C41. Uh, processing with no scans, you scan it yourself, it comes out to 76 cents every time you push the button. And then if you're one of those people like me who self-develops, it's still 65 cents a shot. Now that's on 35 millimeter, okay? Let's talk about medium format. Ektachrome, $92.95 a box, okay? That comes out to $18.59 a roll. Well, on 6 by 4.5, you get 16 shots. So that's $1.16 on six by uh, 4.5 on six by six. If you shoot on a Hasselblad or a C330 or a Rolly or one of those dollar 55, six by seven dollar 86. And that's just for the raw. Now, if you go to uh, C41 and do scans and you shoot on, let's just go to the most expensive one, 10 shots, six by seven, $3 and 95 cents. Every time you push the shutter release four fucking dollars to shoot slide film, the same type of film 
that I learned about latitude on with my broke college ass. It's now become uh, for the elite. Kodak is really swinging for the fences here. And here's, here's where I think they could fuck this up is the people who are the most enthusiastic about film are the younger generation. Most people I know who are my age or older are not like me. They're like, oh, film's this thing that I used to do and I just love. Because we had Jason Berkman in here last month and he said, yeah, I used to shoot film, but I don't anymore because I like the simplicity of shooting on digital. Most older generation people, i.e. the people with the most disposable income, are the ones who are abandoning film the most. And the younger generation, I mean, Brandon's in his 20s, he loves film, but... People in their younger generation in general have less disposable income and they're the ones who are getting squeezed the most by this. Yeah. And here's the, here's the, the bitch of it is, um, as, as films becoming rarer, it's becoming more in high demand by fashion companies. Um, you, you know, you'll see their portfolio and their campaign shots hundred percent on film. Some of them even hundred percent on large format. And so you get a lot of photographers who, like they didn't, there's a, there's a distinction and I'm, I'm not a big classist guy. Like I'm not that guy, but the photographers that are able to execute high fashion shots on film and are still in their early twenties, the only way to get fucking good at shooting film is to shoot a lot of film. And the only way to shoot a lot of film when you're in your twenties is to have a lot of money. And that, you know, it's look, it, it's, it's a rich kids thing now. You know, if you're, if you're in your thirties or you've had a lot of experience shooting film and you're fucking good at it, then you can hit your shots. You're not wasting a whole bunch of money and you've already got that skill honed in, but it's, it's, it's becoming such an alienated, um, form of photography that it's, there's a separation. You're either, you know, it, it comes down to you're either a dickhead shooting on disposable cameras or, you know, you're... <laughs> You're putting a, a ridiculous amount of money, hundreds of dollars into each shoot just to shoot on film. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. You know, we do more editorial, fine art type stuff. And well, as much as, as, as convenient as 35 millimeter is, I prefer to shoot on 120. I always have. Um, I, ha I have rolls of 35 millimeter and when I scan them and I just put them next to my 120 film, I'm just always like, I love the 120 so much more. And so I'd rather spend my time getting the 120 right. But man, like, you know, the thing, the thing that sucks is it's almost like the, the, you know, you go out and buy a cheap ass camera, but you can't afford to shoot on it. I mean, you know, you can go out and buy a RB67, uh, for $400 for the body and get like a, a lens for a hundred bucks. So like for 500 bucks, you can get a six by seven RB 67. So a great camera, but you may not be able to afford to shoot on it because it's so damn expensive. And you know, it really, it really sucks, um, on the side of color because there's just no options out there. And, you know, I've already, I've already bowed out on portrait 800. I bowed out on portrait 800 about a year ago. Uh, once it hit 70, I think it was like $75 a box or whatever. I was just like, no. And I, I am of the generation that has the disposable income. I can absolutely afford to continue to shoot on film. But the reason why um, I am, you know, seriously considering no longer purchasing it is because something is only worth to you what you will pay for it. And as much as I love shooting on film, unless somebody is paying me to shoot on film, uh, which by the way, I charge like, 
a minimum of $100 per roll of film if a client's going to ask me to shoot on film because of more than anything, the fact that I developed myself in the hour, two hours, three hours that I got to do on that part of it. Um, so I, I charge them for that. It's not for the physical materials. I mean, a roll of film is not that expensive, uh, at least the stuff that I bought before it went up in price. But uh, I upcharge because I need to make some money off of it, you know? I mean, your time costs money. But, you know, there's just – there's such limited – uh, choices now. And Kodak has a monopoly on that. Uh, at least, at least on the, uh, Ilford side of things, uh, we have options on black and white because I love 400 TX. I think it's a beautiful film stock. Uh, I love T max and uh, 100 and 400, but so I, I paid $38 and 95 cents for five rolls of T max 100 a year ago. I just want to repeat that. $38.95 is what I paid. If I go to Adorama or B&H right now and try to buy that same five pack that was $38.95, it is now $64.95. They have doubled the price of T-Max 100, which is a good film stock. But like if you put T-Max 100 versus Ilford Delta 100, I mean, I actually prefer Ilford Delta 100 a little bit more personally. And a roll of Ilford Delta 100 right now on average is going for $8.99 for a 120 roll. And you multiply that by five, that's about $45. Okay, so $45 for $65. You're paying $20 more for 100 speed film that's Kodak. And 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 hopefully Ilford uh, doesn't follow suit because they have every reason to. They could they, they can raise their prices if they want to. Oh, dude, I am such an Ilford HP5 guy. We're just opening that roll and seeing that green logo. I'm just like, God, affordable film that looks fucking nice. It's got a nice, like, more or less flat profile. And if I want to add contrast and make it look like T-Max a little bit, I can do that. It's versatile. It's got great latitude. I can still afford groceries while shooting it. And it looks fucking amazing on 6x45. Well, really, like, I mean, I've actually, my favorite, my two favorite film stocks are Delta 100 and Delta 400 and HP5 as well. So they actually happen to be my favorite film stocks for black and white. And so I think I'm okay in that respect for now. But basically that that made my decision for me on black and white. I am out on Kodak black and white. What I have in my, what I have in my fridge, uh, I will finish it up. And when I am done with that Kodak black and white, I am going to be 110% an Ilford guy. And you know, I I think that Kodak's justification for their price increases on color film, uh, I think that has a little bit more justification than their black and white. Because, you know, when you look at T-Max, it's just T-grains. When you look at Delta, it's just T-grains from, from Ilford. They both use the same kind of technology. They're both T-grain technology, but one costs over twice as much as the other. You want to know what I heard? What's that? I heard, that, and it's not, like, it's not like official news or something like that, but um, a buddy of mine who works with a lot of distribution companies um, around the world for film. He said that, you know, it wasn't the manufacturing, it wasn't the facilities, it wasn't even the, the fucking expertise, you know? Like, we live in a world of, like, nearly 9 billion people, if not already 9. Like, it's not difficult to find a guy who can work in a fucking Kodak factory, you know? Um, but he said that the the film prices were, were high because... Kodak Alaris, that company, um, got a loan from the British government a while ago that wasn't entirely paid back. And the government was asking for that money back. And so in order to start, you know, making payments, they, they're just hiking prices. Now, I could be totally, totally wrong, but that's what I heard. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, 
Interesting you mentioned that because do you know where Ilford is? It's in the UK. This is in northeast London near Tottenham and Edmonton and those areas. So yeah. the reason I bring that up is- My mom, be- my mom went, she, uh, she lived in Ilford when she was going to uh, City of London College. That's awesome. Well, my point that I want to make on that is even though uh, in the last few years the British pound has weakened against the dollar, it's still worth more than a dollar. Yeah. And so if there were incentive for a company to charge more- it would be the company that deals in British pound sterling, which is Ilford. They are a UK-based company. Kodak is in New York. They're a U- United States-based company, right? Bastards. Yes. Yeah. So, so Kodak, for their black and white film, to manufacture it domestically and sell it domestically for whatever reason, is charging almost twice as much for their T-grain technology and their black and white the Ilford, a company based in London, I sure as fuck know it's not cheap to live there or do business there with all the taxes and shit you got to pay in the UK. <laughs> yeah. The Ilford, for whatever reason, can charge half the price. And if you're listening, if anybody here is listening to this podcast and you're from Ilford, you are a godsend right now. Please do not change your fucking prices because I will keep buying your product as long as you keep it about where it's at oh because it's per, it's priced perfectly. Um, and I find places online uh, every now and then that will be selling um, like Delta 400 for like $6.99 a roll. And I'll just be like, fuck it. I'm buying like 40 rolls of Delta 400 right now. And, you know, one thing that helps me out is – at the end of 2021, the rumblings were coming about all this with Kodak. And, and I, it really wasn't just about Kodak. It was just about film in general. And so I wasn't sure where it was going to pan out. So at that point in time, I made a decision of, okay, I want to evaluate what my favorite film stocks are. And I'm just going to – I was saving up for like a lens. I was saving a lot of money up for a lens. And I decided, you know what? I know a big gearhead. Um, and I know, I know, I know I love lenses. But to the point of our conversation about what is worth spending money on, is it worth spending money on, you know, a set design? Is it worth spending money on a lens? I made a executive decision to spend money on an aesthetic of film. And so I bought one of those college dorm room fridges and I sunk a ton of money in film. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm set for a few years. Like I have a few years worth of film in this fridge. Like I, if I went and shot once a week, I'd, I'd have at least once a week, I'd, I'd be set for a while. So in hindsight, it was a great investment because I shit you not, I paid like, I mean, I have, I have, I have rolls of film in there that I paid nothing for, like, like compared to what they are now. And I can just go shoot with them and I'm, I'm all good, good to go. The problem is, is when that inventory runs out, what am I going to do next? Because uh, my, my divorce from Kodak seems imminent. Um, it may, it may get to the point where I have to just shoot color digitally um, because, you know, Kodak, you know, the whole point is, okay, we're this mass produce, we're a company that mass produces things. And so we, sh- we manufacture things on a larger level. Therefore, we should be able to sell it per unit for less than somebody who's a, an, a boutique and esoteric place. It's like, okay, great. Well, why are your rolls of film now more than Cinestill? Yeah. Because... The reason why you'd pay money for Cinestill is they had like this niche thing that they do. Cinestill prices went down. They used to be yeah. 18 bucks a roll for Now it's like ago. 14 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Not that that's great, but it's better than fucking Kodak when you're paying $18 a roll now for Portrait 800 or $19. And Well, here's the thing. Cinestill is Kodak. It's Kodak 5219. It's built. It's in the same fucking factory. that just had the Remjet layer removed. It's the same. It's, it's a Kodak film. 
Yeah, and it's just it it it, it the, that whole industry is very incestuous as far as uh, how everything's manufactured. It reminds me of the LED panel uh, community because. Uh, so I have a YouTube channel and random companies from China will reach out to me and go, Hey, we want you to review this light and we'll give you a free light. And I'm like, okay, it's you know, two, $300. I was like, sure. The thing I found out is a lot of these lights are the same fucking light. They're just rebranded. Mm-hmm. And so I had to st- start turning them down. I was like, I've already reviewed that light with a different name on it. And so, uh, yeah, that's been kind of a funny thing, but, uh, awkward conversation too. But, uh, but yeah, it's just the, the, the film thing. It's, it's just getting to the point where, um, you know, it's the irony of the very people who are most enthusiastic about it don't have the disposable income to afford it anymore. And to your point of, well, why are you bolstering up production if only few people can afford it? Uh, because you can just like keep production where it's at and just let rich people buy it if that's if that's your your business model. But if you know the the, the from what I've seen you know, from moments and other places is that this is not a temporary thing. This is a permanent thing. Like they're permanently raising the prices to fund these machines, to hire these new people, to bolster up production. And I think they're going to alienate quite a bit of people. Cause like I said, I can afford it, but I just don't think it's worth it anymore. I mean, like there's, you know, I can afford to go out and buy a luxury car right now, but I don't value luxury cars that much. I don't think they're worth it. I don't think it's worth dropping $75,000 on a car. When to me, a car is just a thing that gets me from point A to point B. Some people love cars. That's their thing and good for them. And up to a certain threshold, I felt that way about film. It's like, man, I love film. I love the look of film and um, I, I think that it adds another dimension to my portfolio and my work, but there's a price where I will tap out and I've already tapped out on Portra 800 and 160. I don't really use that much. I'll use it in the studio sometimes. Um, Actar, I use sometimes and now I'm tapped. I mean, I'm, I'm tapped out on all their color films and my problem with gold is while gold is still somewhat affordable. When I take a, a gold negative and I put it up next to a portrait negative, I prefer the portrait negative, not only in terms of how it renders on my flatbed scanner, but handling the negative. So like Portra uh, and Ektar are like the two most am- like amazing, I don't know if amazing is the right word, but like when you handle a negative and put it on a, a tray, um, like that was one thing that I don't particularly care much for about Ilford and like old um, Fuji Acros stuff that they no longer make is it like bends and it's hard to get on the. the it bends real quick. It you bends real scan quick. right after it dries. Portra 400 is just like, I mean, it's just like boom. It's like this thick, like it's stiff, and 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 uh, Gold 200 is not that way. Gold 200 feels more like uh, some of the cheaper films that I use. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that. I mean, that's one compliment I will give to Kodak is that their uh, negatives are are breeze to use on a scanner flatbed. But I'm not paying twice as much for that. I mean, you know, it's just, I wish, you know, and the problem is, is, there, you know, people are always like, well, if you can do it better, do it yourself. It's like, well, that's the problem is right now with the markets the way it is, with the cost to make things that way, it's just, it's not, I mean, you know, Cinestill is about as cheap as you can get, you know, I mean, Cinestill is still generally expensive film, uh, you know, a roll of film in my opinion, a good price for a roll of film uh, that's color should be less than $10, in my opinion. I think it should cost you, you know, I think $50 for five rolls is totally reasonable. I think that's yeah. totally reasonable, uh, you know, because, like, you think about it. Like, remember I told you, $4, 
uh, $3.95 for six by seven, um, you know, ectochrome uh, slide film. If you, that means that if you have a misfire or you screw up a shot, it's like taking $4 out of your pocket and setting it on fire. That is, I mean, that's just really expensive, especially like, you know, we had that conversation about uh, in our last episode about not taking 2,500 pictures. It's like, well, that nothing will motivate you uh, to take less pictures than uh, having it cost $4 every time you push the shutter release. Now, uh, you know, there's a, there's a comparison that like people, people will be like, well, and this is how I thought about the rising prices at first. The way I justified it is, well, you think about how much an artist pays for a canvas and paint and brushes and all that. It's like, but they're only painting one picture there, you know, like they're making that investment in one painting that hopefully they're going to sell for a price that has a comma on it. You know, I mean, but if you're just out there testing with a model or something and you're spending fucking $4 every time you push the shutter release, like, cause I love to test with models on film, but it's getting too expensive. Like I need it to be a paid project to justify the costs. Yeah. Yeah. And no one wants to pay film prices. It's ridiculous. Cause if they want an all film shoot, and even if you're a great photographer, and I talked about this in one of my YouTube videos about, you know, um, three things I learned about photography. And it, it's, it's, it, it, you're going to want to shoot at least five rolls. And uh, any decent price is similar to Kevin's price, where it's about $100 a roll um, in, in just work, editing, time, time to develop and scan if you scan yourself or if you're just getting it scanned somewhere else. Um, it's, and no one wants to pay an extra like $500, $600, $700 just to have something done in film. And if they're, if they're like, if that's a, an okay price, it's probably a, a high end commercial or fashion company paying someone who has a long track record of shooting film. And that's the only thing they shoot on and they, they just hit their marks and that's kind of like their, that's, that's what they're going to shoot on. You are listening to the F11 photography podcast. Just to give you some examples of, of what it costs. So like part of the reason why I develop myself is because like, for instance, if I shoot um, 400 TX in a six by seven, okay. Um, and I process the film myself. Uh, so it costs me a dollar 50 every time I take a shot with 400 TX with a new price. And what, it, and let me just give you my criteria for that. My criteria for that is, okay, it costs me $11.99 per roll for 400 TX. And then, of course, you divide that by 10. It's $1.20 a shot just for raw materials. But then, um, you know, I use uh, Ilford DDX. That's just what I like to process with. Now, you could save some money and process with like D76 or whatever. But with Ilford DDX, I can get 10 rolls of film. And it's a $30 bottle of, uh, of a developer. So that's that right there is $3. So I take my, um, my $1.20 and then I have my $3.00. That's four dollars and twenty cents, um, and then you know that doesn't include uh, the costs for other things like your um, your fixer and your stop bath, which are reusable. So you save some money there. Your your developer is one shot. You pour it down the drain, um, and then it doesn't even include the cost of the gas for you to drive to your local camera shop to get the film, or hopefully you'll get something with free shipping, uh, but. You know, that's that's pretty cheap. Now, I would say the cheapest uh, film that I shoot right now is uh, HP5. That is that is uh, statistically the cheapest uh, black and white film that I shoot. I can get HP5 self-developed for $1.10 per shot. 
But if I take it to a place to develop it for me, it's $1.67 a shot. This is a six by seven, by the way. And if I take it to a uh, place to scan it for me, it's $2.89. So you went from $1.10 to $2.89. So you can save significant amounts of money of doing things on your own, but there's catches to it. Uh, with black and white, it's not as big of a catch because black and white is one shot on the developer. Then you can reuse Fixer and Stop Bath for quite a while. So you can get some pretty good longevity out of that. Where they get you is in C41. And the reason why is if you go out and you buy a Cinestill C41 kit, uh, you are guaranteed, as long as you use it within a month, eight rolls of film. But are you shooting eight rolls of film if it's costing you uh, $17 a roll? Are you going to shoot eight, eight rolls of film a month? Are you going to spend $120 shooting, just, just shooting the raw materials of the film, just shooting the film? And then you spend $30 on the Cinestill setup. And I have been able to get 14 rolls out of it. I've been able to stretch it to 14 rolls, just leave things in a little longer. The, the one liter or the two liter kit? One liter. The one liter? Fuck, man. I've got like 16 to 20 rolls out of that shit. Yeah, I find, I find after about 14, my colors... It, it all depends, though. If you do it... it, it there's, there's factors at play. So if you do... Um, if you do all 16 rolls, pretty... Like you have 16 rolls ready to go, it's strong. But if you spread those 16 rolls out over a month, it starts to lose strength. And so, uh, you know, you can get 16 rolls out of it. I am to the point though. Um, I mean, I do self-develop color and I do self-develop black and white. I think I am getting to the point where I may tap out on self-developing color because, uh, it goes from like a dollar 67 a shot to $2 and five cents a shot for like, Ektar 100 and Portra 160. It goes from a dollar 81. It's it's basically it, it cost me like four dollars extra to have somebody develop it for me. When you take the because it's like I think that it's like seven dollars uh, for someone to develop a roll of C41 for you, and it cost me about three dollars per roll to develop it myself. So basically, what it boils down to is, do you just want to pay somebody four dollars to develop your film for you, and if you don't need it within a week? You're good to go. Now, part of the part of my reason why I self-develop isn't just for cost savings. It's that isn't it fucking cool to do a shoot and then that night have all the stuff like posted on your Instagram, at least in your stories, going, here's all the developed shots. I love the instant gratification of it. Uh, that is one thing that sucks about shooting film is that it, you know, you don't get you have to I, I guess some people find it to be exciting. Uh, I'm a little impatient, so like I develop my film and um and immediately get to scanning it uh, as soon as it's dry enough because I want to see it. And uh, when I send it off to a lab, some places will turn it around in an hour. Some places will turn it around in a week. Just depends on where you go. But yeah, man, the, the film landscape, man, it's, it's not, it's not looking good, man. So uh, how often do you shoot a month? Me on film? Oh, geez, dude. You know, um, I went through a period of my life uh, a couple of years ago where I pretty much exclusively shot on film. I decided I wanted to take that leap. I wanted to, to develop myself as a film photographer and eventually switch over. That was a couple, that was a year and a half before COVID happened and any talk of film price increases. So it was easy to shoot film and I got really excited to shoot film. In fact, I built out sets and entire shoots around the the cameras that I was using. Like I used to have a Nikon FE and a Yashica Mat 124G and those are not very expensive cameras. And yet, you know, I used to do planning and, and I used to like 
build entire scenarios and bring tripods for specific shots. Like there's this one shot we did in an abandoned school on the second floor and there's just drywall falling around everywhere. And I got this one model. Um, it was phenomenal. Very cool chick. And I dressed her up like a Soviet, uh, Soviet guard. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Shocking. Yeah. And I had her sit in this room in four different locations, smoking a cigarette in different ways. Yeah, that was, one's pinned on your Instagram, right? Yeah. And so I had her, I had her in four different um, locations, and I shot her on a Yashica Mat one four or one twenty four G on a tripod, and I put all four photos together like she was four different people just like lounging around on you know on Ilford HP five, and it was just. You know, you could experiment. You could. You had the bandwidth and the 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 ease to just fuck around with film and just find out. You know what I mean? But now, now it's like if I'm if I'm gonna shoot film and that thought crosses my mind, I'm like, it has to be perfect. I will not shoot a shot on film unless I've already taken that shot on digital and I can just perfectly replicate it. Yeah, and that reminds me of what I was talking about earlier. Like in college, as a broke college student. I could afford to learn how to shoot slide film. People at that age, they can't afford $4 a fucking shot. And even, even okay, I'm, I mean, I keep defaulting to 120, but even if you go to 35 um, millimeter, it's $65 a shot if you self-develop. If you pay somebody to uh, do C41 and scans, it's $1.13 a shot. That's what the 36 exposure roll of, uh, of, of you know, ectochrome. Uh, slide film. So basically what that's saying is that you, you're going to have an entire generation of people who can't really learn on slide film unless they just come from a lot of money. Well, let's, let's be honest. Most people, you know, who don't have the money to shoot like proper, like professional grade film, they're shooting color plus they're shooting Kodak max. They're shooting, you know, Fuji, uh, superior, but even those are going up yeah. and, and it's, it's the point now where it's like, you know, it's this trendy thing that it's kind of like vinyl with music. Everyone's going back to vinyl because they like the way it sounds and people are going back to film because they like the way it looks. And, you know, you can go out. The, the whole point of the resurgence of film was that you could go out and buy a Canon Rebel G on eBay for $20. 35 millimeter it has an autofocus on there. It's got metering. It's got all that shit. You can throw L lenses on it. They have the same for Nikon. You know, you shoot on a, on a 35 millimeter Nikon that was a beast, is a beast, but isn't really that expensive now but it's becoming more expensive to shoot on because of the goddamn film <laughs> you know and, yeah. and that's that's the problem man is it's like you're you're alienating that market and and that that could i i do wonder how is that going to impact camera sales like ebay and stuff like that because you know if right now i'm i'm talking about a world in which I eventually won't be shooting color film anymore and I have disposable income. If it gets to the point where black and white, like Ilford, so I was doing a little bit of research on Ilford. They're owned by some company uh, called Pemberstone and I started like researching them and they seem to have doubled the amount of money they've made since 2015, which is when they acquired Ilford. So I'm hoping that's the sign of a healthy company. Maybe they don't have to raise prices. I, I mean, I'm, I don't, hopefully these, these Pemberstone people are awesome people and they're not like crazy people or something, you know, like I hope I'm rooting for them to succeed because the only thing that could keep me long-term uh, shooting film is Ilford because right now I just, I just, 
can't, I, I mean, this really is kind of me out loud divorcing myself from Kodak. It's a, you know, sort of like, a, well, we're, we're separated and then eventually we'll file the papers and I've got a fridge full of film right now. And that film, uh, once that Kodak film is gone, I mean, hey, if you're listening and you want to get me something for Christmas or for my birthday, fucking film. Expired film. If you have a fridge full of it, your grandfather just passed away and you found out his fridge is full of portrait Kodachrome and 400. Send it on over. Hi, I'm Jordan Groby, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. I used to look at Portra 400, and I looked at that roll, and you know, you're walking away from the film store, you got it in the mail, and you're, you're holding that little box, and you're just like, fuck yeah, this is like standard film, this is going to be like standard lighting, you're excited about it, you can't wait to put a couple rolls of it through your camera. Now it's luxury. Now I look at this shit, and I'm just like, I have to fucking have a plan for each shot, this is going to be, it's a higher standard of photography, and it's, a, it's completely changed my psyche around film. Yeah, it's, it's definitely adding a lot of pressure to it, and it, it, you know, I... There, as I have ideas that I'm mapping out for, for shoots, I'm like, how important is this shoot to me? Because if it's not like super high importance, I'm probably going to elect to shoot on my Fuji, uh, which has the closest simulation to film. And, um, you know, they do a, they do a good job of getting you in the ballpark, but there's no substitution for light hitting an emulsion and the way that all those tiny little organic pieces of matter react to the light hitting it versus a bunch of tiny pixels on a sensor. It's not the same thing. Not here to debate which one's better, but I am here to tell you factually that they are 100% different. Yeah. You know, it, it, it always makes me think, and this is probably not the best mindset, <laughs> because because it just isn't you know you don't want to look at other people um but i used to follow all the big film guys on youtube you know that's where i started you know i loved watching their videos their content wasn't that great they're kind of boring as fuck people and they take a lot of photos of just the most benign subjects like nice lighting on a roof corner of a house or like you know just a street during the sunset there's one guy who, who does some some content that might be boring kyle mcdougall do you follow him oh my god the canadian I, guy i do but i he just he Oh, he's he, he's he's not exactly a guy I'd want to party with, but he he no. he, he makes he he takes some really beautiful shots of like benign things, like here's a gas station, an abandoned gas station in like Nova Scotia or some shit. Oh yeah, they're just they're the kind of people that when the world turns to shit, they're dying first. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Kyle, if you're listening. Yeah, you know they're just soft guys that like walk around with flowers in their hair, and they're just like, yeah, you look at the hill, the leeward side, the wind is just gently touching. I'm gonna try to capture that on my large format, five thousand dollar camera, and you know it's great. But but no, it makes me think of Willem Verbeek. That guy's fun. Oh my, he's gosh. fun. <laughs> no, but no, but you know the raising film price makes me think of Willem Verbeek because they sent Kodak sent him free gold. He dropped out of what the hell? He dropped out of Parsons College, which is where David Beckham's son went, mm -hmm. and to pursue film photography. And it's just like, look, if you have the money to decide not to go to Parsons. You know, you're fucking fine. You can explore film all the fucking live long day. You know, he started with the best film cameras that the world has to offer. And it, doesn't shoot on like a Mamiya, uh, a Mamiya seven. six seven, or I'm sorry, me set, yeah, Mamiya seven, yeah. which is a six seven. Yeah, yeah I misspoke. Yeah, those are you can get those used on eBay right now for about fifty five hundred dollars in mint condition. Yep. It's yeah. the same price as getting like the same type of Hasselblad that like Tyler Shields shoots on, which at least there's a justification for that because finding a Hasselblad that's in mint condition that's 60 years old is, you know, fewer. fewer that's a feat. Whereas, whereas the Mamiya 7 was discontinued less than 20 years ago. So at least there's a lot of those in circulation. 
I would love to have a Mamiya 7, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of those luxury cameras, um, you know, but that's, hey, maybe that's who these price increases are for, are those, those people out there who are like, I'm bored and I'm going to go buy a fucking Hasselblad, the same one they used on the moon. Oh, $6,000, it's gold, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the same people who go out and buy the, uh, <laughs> the Fuji X100V, which is selling for $1,000 more than retail right now because some fucking hipster on Instagram said, oh, the X100V is this like magical camera. And, and you know what it is? It has an X-Trans 4 sensor in it. It's just a Fuji X-T4. It has a fixed 23 millimeter F2 lens, so you can't even change it out. Um, and it has a rangefinder on it. So it's like a hipster camera, but like the sensor in there is just a Fuji X-T4 well, sensor. And, and the glass is no better than buying like their pancake F2 lens. So basically you could go out and buy a Fuji X-T4 and buy uh, like the pancake lens, or I think it's actually the X-T3 sensor, if I'm not mistaken. I don't even think it's the X-T4 sensor. And so uh, you can go out and buy a used Fuji X-T3 with a 23 uh, F2 uh, pancake lens for like a third the price of like what they're selling. They're selling they're selling these X100Vs for like three thousand dollars. They're just these little fucking pocket cameras. But um, those are the same. Those, I guess those are the same people who are going to go out and buy Portrait 800 for eighty five dollars a box. Oh, we haven't even talked about the inflation of film cameras themselves. Oh yeah. I mean, Contax T2 made big by, by who wasn't it? Like Sofia Coppola. Yeah. So if you, oh my God. Yeah. So Sofia Coppola would sit there and just go, I'm going to take a picture of this. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm not talking shit about Sofia Coppola. She actually makes really good movies and I actually like a lot of her movies, but because she uses it and popularizes it, everyone's like, Oh, I got to have what Sofia Coppola has. She has this tiny little, uh, you know, camera, 35 millimeter camera with this ice lens on it. And it's like, it's okay. It takes okay pictures, but it's just like a little fucking point and shoot, man. Yeah, it uses ribbon wire, which yeah. is just a paperweight waiting to happen. They, oh, yeah, that's eventually going to fail. Do, yep. Like the Konica uh, B301 or BM201. Like, I use that thing. I got it for a really affordable price. It feels like it's going to break at any moment, and yet they're selling for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's, it's completely arbitrary. Yeah, it's starting to get to the point where... Um, it really is becoming a thing for the elite. It's one of the reasons why, you know, and I'm going to have my, I'm going to have him come on the show at some point. Um, my buddy Andy out in Los Angeles, who shoots on large format. And he, he, he was, t he was schooling me on, um, on the recasing of lenses. So like the old Nikon and the old Canon lenses, Hollywood is like taking these old lenses that were just regular lenses you'd use on 35 millimeter cameras back in the day and shoot 35 millimeter film. And they're like recasing them. And like these Hollywood directors are like, Oh, I'm looking for like the next thing. I'm looking for like really, I'm looking for something different with my lenses for my films. So they look a little different. And, and so they're giving them uh, like people are just recasing, like they're these brokers are buying up these old Nikon and Canon lenses in bulk. They're recasing them to be put onto these film cam or these uh, Hollywood uh, mo motion picture cameras, and they're selling them. These are lenses that you could five six years ago go on eBay and buy for a hundred dollars. They're like recasing them and selling for like seven thousand dollars and shit. And so I've been kind of seeing that, and I'm like, well, I don't. I mean, because I what. One of the things I've been doing is if I decide to shoot on a system, I just go out and I buy a bunch of lenses for that system uh, on vintage stuff. So like I have a bunch of old Minolta. I, I, when my grandfather passed away, I inherited his, uh, his X 700 Minolta, which is a cool 35 millimeter camera. And he had some, some MD lenses, but I went out and just bought a bunch of MD and MC lenses. Cause I, first of all, I wanted to shoot on the Minolta, but I also wanted to take them and put them on my Fuji, my Canon, my Fuji GFX, just kind of see what kind of renderings I could get with them. And they're still 
cheap. You can buy some of those lenses for $40 or $50. And, uh, but you know the day's coming that some, some broker is going to go, okay, we're going to go after the Minolta MD and MC lenses uh, next. Now, they don't probably go after the older ones because they have like Thorum on them, which has some weird ghosting cast thing that it does that kind of makes things look a little too golden or washed out. But um, it like fades over time. But but yeah, it, it's, you know, and then uh, my Mimia RB lenses, like they're still somewhat cheap. As long as you don't get the KM versions, which are the latest versions, I say latest, they're still 40 years old, but, uh, but you know, that's, that's what they're coming for next. And so I'm trying to stay ahead of the curve there. And then one day, if I decide to get out of the Mamiya RB67 system, maybe I'll be like, Oh, we'll get an RZ. And it's like, Oh shit, I can sell these lenses that I bought for a hundred dollars for like $2,000 now. Cause some idiot will pay that for it. And so, you know, you never know, but in the meantime, just go take pictures with it. But unfortunately, uh, <laughs> Once I run out of film, uh, that could be an issue. Uh, Ilford, if you're listening, please keep your prices down. I was going to say, I'm, I'm sitting on a stockpile of expired 160 NC and VC, and it still shoots really well when it's well exposed and not used in a Holga, apparently. But, yeah, a Holga uh, can suck a bag of dicks. Uh, that, was a, that was such a wild experience, dude. Yeah, if you're listening to this, uh, don't buy a Holga. They're terrible. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Oh, the film, the film. It's painful. Yeah, it is painful because, you know, if you put together a list of, hey, those who want it or need it the most for their art aren't necessarily those who can afford it um, or those who are willing to pay for it. You know, like I just, you know, like I said, I made a, I made a decision. It's like, hey, you know, I got, I got all these other things that I have to pay for in my life, uh, save for retirement, you know, things that you're supposed to be doing. And, uh, I, you know, paying two dollars every time i push a shutter releases that's fucking painful man well you start lining it up to other expenses in your life it's like if i shoot two rolls of film in a week you know for a single shoot that's that's gas for an entire month yeah that's food for two weeks yeah and if you're listening to this i think something that i am going to do is i am by the time this is released i'm going to put a link for download for my microsoft excel spreadsheet because i you know i do this partly because i'm a nerd but I also do this because I, I don't think people understand how much money they spend when they shoot film. And I have it broken down per roll and per shot. I have it broken down at six by four by five, six by six, six by seven and 35 millimeter. I have it broken down to where, uh, like I said, at the beginning of the episode, you just pay for the raw materials. This is what it costs. You pay to get it developed and scanned. This is what it costs. You get, you pay to just get it developed. This is what it costs. And then you pay to get it, uh, uh, you know, you, you pay to develop it yourself and I have all that in there. The only flaw that I need to fix on my spreadsheet is, uh, for the slide film, I have C41 as the developer, which I guess you can cross process, but I actually want to go figure out what the actual, like if I were going to do a slide film, like the way it's supposed to be done, what it would end up uh, costing. I'm assuming it's in the same ballpark as C41, but uh, just that's the one one major thing I have to fix on this chart. But I think I'm going to put the chart on the f11pod.com site, uh, and I'll probably just put the link to it directly in like the body of uh, the text that you get. So if you're uh, if you're listening to this on um, Spotify or Apple or you get, you know whatever whatever you're listening to this on, it'll be in the set of links for the episode because I don't care uh, if this gets shared around. It's a living and breathing document. 
it may cost you uh, less to develop film on your own than it cost me. And so that's why I just kind of leave it as open architecture. Uh, so you can go in and plug the formulas in however you want to and tweak it for yourself. Because I'm not I'm not doing this for any sort of money. I'm doing it. I, actually, I am doing it for money. I'm doing it for my own fucking money. I'm doing it to figure out how much it costs me every time I take a picture on a particular type of film stock. And so uh, I think that uh, some of you, if you uh, use this spreadsheet, will your jaw will hit the floor when you see how much it costs you to shoot film these days. And I, by the way, I have it with the prices because uh, we're recording this podcast because it's probably going to come out like three or four weeks. We, we, we only release one podcast a week, but we record all of our podcasts. Like we record three or four podcasts at a time because uh, of our busy schedules. So we're recording this podcast on March 18th. Um, 2023, but uh, I actually made the spreadsheet post March 1st, so it is the most current prices. Uh, however, I think that they haven't updated the prices for T Max 400 yet. I've been finding some good deals on T Max 400, so I've been buying it up. Uh, but I think that's about to switch over, and those deals are going to be gone soon. I was I was finding it for 7.99 a roll, uh, and I'm I'm seeing it now for about uh, 12.99 a roll, so it's almost doubled. But um. Uh, I'm going to just uh, name some names of some places uh, and just give you some free information because it is the wild, wild west. Uh, so places that you can buy film. And I don't have any affiliation with these places whatsoever. What I do to shop for film is I put a, uh, a favorites list together. And I have Cinestill's website. I have, um, I have Adorama. I have B&H. Uh, I have a place, uh, there's a place called District Camera, which I think is in like Brooklyn or something like that. And then um, there's another place in Utah that I use sometimes called Picture Line. And then the place that I buy from the most, this is a plug for them. Um, I use a place called Midwest Photo and they're in Columbus, Ohio. And they don't charge tax. They don't charge shipping if you're over a certain dollar amount. And I tend to find their prices are the cheapest in general. And so, uh, yeah, just giving a free plug to uh, Midwest photo because film is unregulated. The profitability is low. And so I don't know if these places are just trying to hook you in to buy from them. So you'll buy some other stuff from them as well. But, um, yeah, man, it's the wild, wild west out there. Every now and then Adorama or B and H will blow out a big Kodak stock. And so the reason why I have all these guys saved on my browser and my favorites is because about once a week, I'll just go check all of them and see what prices are for certain things. It's like, it's like uh, checking prices on stocks or something. I don't know. It's like, or sh shopping for the best price for gas. It's like, oh, the gas station across the street is ten cents cheaper. And sometimes they'll just for whatever reason, it's like, wow, Delta four hundred is two dollars less per per roll at this one place right now than it is everywhere else, and they'll just run a special on it. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I found the same thing. In fact. Uh, I still scour eBay and Facebook Marketplace for people who sell film without knowing it's like real value or they're just trying to get it off their chest and not like, you know, make a shit ton of money off of it. And oftentimes, um, maybe once every two, three months, I'll find I'll find a good deal that's worth hopping on. But, you know, the fucking sad thing, the sad and ironic thing is people are reselling film and even expired film for the same price that <laughs> that new film was like three years ago. So you're not even getting a deal on expired film. It's it's almost at price, to be honest. Well, what's crazy is like, uh, so for instance, w 
what, a year ago, year and a half ago? It was just a little over a year ago. They're like, oh, we're introducing gold 200 to medium format. Everybody rejoice. It's $35, $39 for for uh, uh, five five uh, rolls of 120. And we're like, yay, they got gold 200 out for medium format now. This is amazing. You know, it was thirty nine ninety nine, and you know what Portra four hundred was? It was forty nine ninety nine, and guess what Gold two hundred is now? It's forty nine ninety nine. So all they did was they took Gold and they put it in the place of where Portra four hundred was. Now Portra is taking the place. Uh, Portra four hundred is now the price of what Portra eight hundred used to be, and now Portra eight hundred is an uncharted territory, and it is like way more. I mean, like a, a box of Portra eight hundred now is at least fifteen dollars over my threshold. Like I just won't even do it. It's not even worth it. No, like at that point in time, I'd rather just shoot in my Fuji GFX, which like if I shoot my Fuji GFX at like 3,200, the amount of noise and grain structure it creates kind of looks like Portra 800 anyway, but yeah. I'm shooting at 3,200. I'm thinking with interest rates going up and all that, and, and I'm thinking the spending is going to, you know, going to drop and people won't even, you know, they're going to, Kodak's going to find that that uncharted territory of their top of the range film is just fucking unattainable or or you know mark mark this moment right now kodak launches a fucking credit card system because credit credit spending's not going down you know car yeah. credit is fucking exploding cinna still already has that do they are you fucking serious? yeah cinna still you can buy film and do monthly payments on it well not not that like you know i know they have those like affirm and like those third party things but yeah, like, yeah. i'm a, I, I wouldn't be surprised if kodak released like their own fucking like actual credit card like you know zero percent apr for six months kind of thing like yeah, it wouldn't surprise me i just i just still think it's funny to do installment payments on film that's fucked up <laughs> like it's it, wrong it, it reminds me it reminds me of like uh you know like when concerts when concerts got to that point, like there were, there's a, it was like ACL fest. It's like, Oh, you want to go to Austin city limits? Or you want to go to Coachella? You can do it in like four monthly payments of like $300. It's like, what? ACL, to go see bands? Dude, ACL hasn't been worth the price in 10 years. It's insane. Plus when you, when you think of what a festival is not to do, not to bring in like a tangent here, we do tangents here. We do tangents here, but like, like ACL is the most vanilla commercial, like bullshit festival you could go to it's like when you've got edc when you've got electric forest when you've got whatever the fuck that one is in chicago where they're bringing on like the top of the top and not just like the vanilla radio stars and it's the same around the same price like and there's like there's camping involved and you get the whole nine yards acl is really not worth the money yeah it really isn't because usually uh like there's a whole whole tangent on there and why I'd rather spend the money that I go to ACL. I'd just rather take that exact same amount of money and get really good. I was, I was about to say, were you talking about Lollapalooza? I was, yeah. I was, like, I was like, oh, yeah, he's not my age. That should have come really natural to him. I was like the whole time, like, he's talking about Lollapalooza. And then you came up with him. Like, I should have just said something. I thought that maybe there was some EDM festival I didn't know about in Chicago because I'm not hip to that stuff anymore. But back to the uh, – like I said, uh, in, in summary for today's episode – my, my fear is this, is that Kodak is overplaying their hand here. Uh, maybe because nothing is in stock right now. The joke's on me. I can't find things in stock. But is it in stock because of demand or is it in stock because they just don't have the equipment to make it? And, you know, will the demand, uh, will, the, will the demand drop? Because I, I just look at it like it's being squeezed on both ends. On one end, you've got the people who can't afford it, who are driven, they're young, they're driven, they're in some of the most creative years of their lives, uh, where they have the time to devote to their craft, but they don't have the money 
And then on the other end of it, I look at somebody like myself. I have the disposable income. I could go out and buy, you know, a ton of that film right now. It's just over the threshold of what's worth it to me. And as I said earlier in the episode, you will only pay what something is worth to you. And that does it for today's episode. Uh, Film companies, if you're listening, please keep your prices down. We love shooting film, uh, but we may have to have a bitter divorce. So that does it for today's episode. Uh, You can check us out at f11pod.com. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at f11pod. And, uh, of course, the links to both Brandon and I's respective sites and uh, YouTube channels and all that. And Instagrams are on there as well. And uh, we thank each and every one of you. Uh, please give us a five-star rating on the respective podcast uh, platform sites. And until next time, chase light, not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.